Hey everyone, bring your best game at every level, from powerful Dell gaming PCs with Intel Core processors to the ultimate Alienware VR-ready experience. Don't just play, game. Visit dell.com slash gaming. Again, that's dell.com slash gaming. And welcome to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's official video game podcast. I don't know why I always say official, as if there's some unofficial <laughs> video game podcast that's trying to take our corner. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined, as always, by the proud owner of a new Nintendo Switch, Jason Concepcion. Hello, how's Switch life? It's came along at uh, just the wrong time because I, I can't be playing Zelda this much right now, but I am. Uh, yeah. It took three days, but I finally found Link a pair of pants. Yes, that's um, important. And it's amazing. It's this is yeah. it's as good as advertised. It really is yeah. sublimely crafted. Like I could, I could go on and on about it, but it's amazing. Well, so you've read a lot about it. You've heard yeah. a lot about it before you got your hands on it, apart from the quick preview we had at the Nintendo event. So what, if anything, has surprised you or just been more impressive when you are actually playing it than when you're hearing or reading about it? Well, I mean, we could talk about the art and the cell shading. It's like, yeah. it is seamless. But the thing that's really affected me is kind of how the logic that underpins a lot of the the puzzles and, and the way you access certain areas of the map. And it's almost childlike in its simplicity, but there's this, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, there's this, there's this mountain that there's a, one of the towers that you climb in order to access areas of the map, like to get the map revealed. Mm-hmm. It has, it doesn't have like the same kind of platforms that you would, that you could rest on to kind of get your stamina back up. Mm-hmm. So it, it turns out the way you have to, you can access the tower is you have to climb these trees that surround a mountain and eventually you get to the top and it's not at all cl- like they, they're so good at, at making the amount the distance that you can climb mm-hmm. hard to gauge with your stamina so it's not yeah. you're not even sure that you can do certain things until you try to do them mm-hmm. and long story short i climbed this mountain using trees i had to climb the trees then leap from the tree onto the side of the mountain so i would just have just enough stamina to get to the next ridge and i keep doing this yeah and then jump down to the tower and then i kind of realized that that whole thing was of a was of one theme the kind of mechanism that you use to access the tower and the tower not mm-hmm. having the correct handholds and platforms or whatever it was all this kind of unified theme of uh, execution that was really incredibly crafted and very seamless and super simple mm-hmm. and i was just amazed it's just it's like that throughout the game it's really amazing yeah i mean the great thing about it is that you can go anywhere and yet they also managed to make that suspenseful because yeah. you can never quite tell if you're gonna fall to your death and if you do it's not bad it's not all that frustrating but it still adds this little element of suspense just waiting to see if you're gonna make it and on my playthrough i invested in hearts because i didn't want to die but when my fiance started playing it i advised her to go all in on stamina and so she 
is pretty deep into the game and she has like four hearts, but she filled up her stamina wheel like three times. So that I think is the way to go because she can go anywhere and you can just avoid enemies that you don't have enough health to beat. You can just sail away from them or climb away from them and I think that's a more fun way to play the game if you are looking for how to break down your resources into hearts and stamina. I think I'd recommend the latter. Well, it's a, this is good advice. I'm so early in the game and I haven't mm-hmm. really had a chance to kind of devote myself into character building, but yep. good advice. All right. So later in this episode, we're going to talk to Max Reed of New York Magazine about Hearthstone, which just got a big new expansion. But first, we are going to talk to the proprietor of one of our favorite video game YouTube channels. So we are joined now by Alex from Barcelona. He is the man behind Low Spec Gamer, which is devoted to getting modern games to run on low-end computers by any and all means possible. Hello, Alex. Hi, how are you doing? Hello. All right. So tell us about the origin story here. I I assume that this started out of a desire just to get games to run on low-end computers that you owned. And it seems that there's an audience for that, certainly, because you have almost 250,000 subscribers and people are clearly using it as a service to get games to run on their computers. But I wonder whether it has become more than that for you. Is it about the challenge now of trying to get games to run on less powerful systems? Uh, A little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. So Uh regarding the origin story of the channel, it's it's actually quite interesting because... I have been doing this sort of thing for my own needs of gaming for long before I started the channel. And uh, mainly because I I was gaming on laptops that were not really good before. Before living in Spain, I used to live in Venezuela, in South America. And Uh it's a little bit complicated to get decent computer components there for, for many economical and political reasons. And then when I moved to Spain, I was moving between many different places. So I couldn't have a desktop. All I had was the same laptop that I have had for like five years. Mm-hmm. So it became a, a sort of a matter of necessity if I wanted to to keep up with, with all the games that I was interested in. So in that respect, the, the idea was in my head for, for I think a really long time. In fact, oof. I don't know, more than five years. I, I remember thinking of even the name, like, oh, that would be a cool name for it. But it's one of those ideas that you, you think like once in the shower and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not, you're not really going to execute on that. You just think it will be cool. Yeah. But, it, but it's always on, on the back of my head. I remember walking through university campus at some place where people were eating and seeing a guy trying to play, it was probably a Call of Duty game on what looked like a Sony Bio laptop, like like the really uh-huh. thin ones. And yeah. he was getting awful performance. It was really, he didn't have a counter up, but it was really obvious just for staring at the screen. But he didn't seem upset at, at it. He just seemed <laughs> like he just wanted to play. So I, I remember that point specifically because uh, at that point, my mind clicked like, you know, maybe I'm not alone on this. Maybe there is an interest for this sort of thing out there. Mm-hmm. So after I finished university, I, I did some things related to, to the startup world. And I met a really good content manager for a company that, talk a lot to me about the the importance of content and community and how you can reach people. And and in that moment, sort of the idea popped up back in my head and I I was between jobs and between things to do. So I was like, you know, why not try it as an experiment? In fact, it was my idea to try it as an experiment to to measure my own level of, of skill trying to, I don't know, creating content and seeing how it works. And I expected to fail, but to 
at least learn from the failure and to use that to maybe some build something more interesting out of it. To my immense surprise, it was not a failure. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have videos with over a million views now. Yes. So are you still doing this out of necessity? Do you own a computer that is capable of running games at higher settings and you're just doing this as a public service or as a challenge to yourself? Or are you still actually restricting yourself to older computers? A little bit of, of different things. So uh-huh. I actually own, quote unquote, a computer that is better. I wouldn't consider it's it's not like something that can play on 4K and it usually struggles on, on some modern games on medium or so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's technically something I borrowed from a family member that I haven't given back like in a year. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So, but if, funnily enough, uh, although I, I sort of game on it, depending on the game, very often I rely on the own stuff that I research and on some of the best, quote unquote, best computers that I have used on the channel for gaming because the other one's like rendering all the time. So it's, it's oh, I want to play Overwatch. Oh, wait, I'm rendering a video for like tomorrow so uh <laughs> so often i and the cpu isn't fast enough to like play and render at the same time so i end up still using it a lot but at this point it's not really just um i i don't feel the pressure of necessity in the sense that i want to try this new game and there's no other way unless i do this but it, it is sort of interesting and challenging and it's something i'm particularly passionate about from and through it i have discovered a lot of games that i was ignoring and that actually were really interesting. So recently, a good example of that recently was uh, near Auto- Automata. I need I need to nail the pronunciation in this one because that, that is something <laughs> I had a really right. hard time with it. Yeah. We talked about it last last week, and I struggled. It was it's near Automata, I believe. Yeah, I, I have a bit on my video <laughs> where I literally googled the pronunciation to show people that I was trying to get it right and I get it wrong. Yeah. Like the, well, and that's a game. I, it was not on my radar at all. I was completely not even thinking about it. But the article started appearing about the the mod that some people were working to sort of fix the game out of the uh, out of the gate, and and that that was something that was interest, interesting to me because it became like, oh, okay, so how much is the effect? How will that affect the the devices that I have? Will that create a lot of difference in computers that were not meant for this level of game? And then like my mind starts running and I just, I, I, I need to find out. So I, I start experimenting and, and I became, in some games when I start experimenting and finding up files that do things that are not supposed to be done, that's when I get really excited and just start doing and digging and digging and trying to see just how far I can get. And I get really into it. So, and it's, uh, I try to make an interesting, good show out of it. So often, <laughs> more than once I have done a video because I figure I do like a small or interesting tweak for it. And something in the back of my mind goes like, hmm, I could make like this joke out of it. I could make a, a funny joke out of this. And I end up making an entire video that takes me like two weeks just to make that one joke. <laughs> so that that happens more often than I'm willing to admit. <laughs> Beyond just kind of like the obvious stuff that I think a lot of gamers do, which is turning down the polygon count, you know, turning down resolution, uh, you really go into like the auto exec files and change stuff around. How did you learn to do that? And and could you give us uh, what are some of the, the quickest, dirtiest tips for trying to get a really kind of cutting edge game working on a second or third late era generation PC? Okay. So obviously it depends a lot on each game because each game can be its own world. 
but usually an, an interesting place to to start looking. Obviously, you know, go into PC Gaming Wiki and see where the configuration file is. Look at what the configuration file has and, and compare it to what is actually in the settings screen. That is usually a good place to start. But a resource that is really good to start finding this kind of stuff is just looking at what the mothers are trying to do. So if you go into any forum or like NeoGAF or any interesting thread where mothers are trying to break down a game to find like vectors or, or places to start changing things. That usually gives you really good clues about how the game is built or places where you can change stuff. Interestingly enough, like I haven't met or ever seen a thread done by mothers where they are trying to do this in order to like get better performance. They usually they're usually looking like to even usually make the game prettier or like find right. where the effects are rendered to do more. But the same tools very often can be used to go the other way. Yeah, I was watching your Half-Life 2 on an Intel Atom video. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I enjoyed the, the, I think it's like RL uh, underscore teeth. Where it's like the the character models have no eyes and teeth, and you can see like directly through the wall and and into their mouths. How much experimentation does it take before you really kind of settle into a game? And it's like, you know, how much of it is just like what weird things can I do, and how much of it is like truly utilitarian? Like, how can I really play this game in a way that's enjoyable? Uh, I would say it's half and half. It depends because I I understand that a part of my audience does this, as you say, as a service or, or right. trying to get a, a real use of it. However, a larger than you will imagine audience is for it for fun. Uh, an interesting way I measure this is often if, if I require like a specific software or something to, to change a game, if I leave links in the description of the videos to the software, I can track how many people click on those links versus people who actually watch the video. So I can get a, a very solid idea of how many people mm -hmm. are just watching for fun. And so I try to balance it out depending on the titles. I knew that for a game like Half-Life 2, I could go a little bit crazier because mm -hmm. it's it's harder to find a computer that cannot run Half-Life 2. So it, I, I assume a lot of people will not be doing those extremes out of need. Uh, but it's always a balancing act. In in that sense, as, as long as I can find something interesting and, and entertaining, it, it just depends on, on each video. That is specific, that is specific video, that is specific set of, of comments, like for the teeth and the eyes. It, it was born <laughs> out of I was I was searching just comments for the source engine because there's a lot of interesting games that uh, that you you could play around with and you know that like the mother of all source games so it, it will it will be an interesting place to start learning all the comments in the console and so on and uh, halfway through it I like I think I discovered that one or was the ice command or something and I was like why why why, why is this even in the console why did the developer even added this how do how deep does the rabbit hole go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious about the effect that turning down the settings has on the gameplay in your experience. Because I went to high school with, I think, the most prominent TI-83 calculator modder. So this guy would be sitting in math class or whatever while we were all zoning out in some other way. And he would be programming Doom on his TI-83. And he just he did some really impressive things with it. And you wouldn't believe that he could get this to run on a calculator. 
But at the end of the day, you'd play it and it would still be a calculator game. It would be in grayscale <laughs> with limited input. And it was like, you know, you could just buy a DS or a Game Boy Advance <laughs> or something and maybe it would be more fun. But I think it was partly about the challenge of just getting the game to run. But the end product maybe was was fun if you were in math class and couldn't do anything else, but not necessarily in other situations. So does that tend to be the case when you dialed down all the settings do you find that the game is less fun or do you find that that ends up not being all that important and it's other things that contribute to the experience more so than just the the graphics or the physics? That is a really good question because they, it, through this process of making these videos, I have come to realize just which, which sort of studios or which sort of developers sort of value the aesthetics or the visual design of a game more than others because there is cases of games where I, I might be by mildly enjoying or somewhat enjoying the game until I start sort of doing this experiment and it's like, okay, I'm not entirely sure if I personally will play like this. And uh-huh. then there are cases where the complete contrary. So a good example of this will be the first Dark Souls. So I was I was avoiding Dark Souls like the plague during my entire lifetime as a gamer because <laughs> same, I, I'm not... here, by the way. Thank you. I'm glad that someone. I, I, people are going to get mad. The Dark Souls people got mad when we did a uh, uh, yes. best games of the last ten years article because we. Thank you for ignoring Dark Souls as much as. Wait, as I wait. Uh, l- l- let me finish because uh, there's no redemption here. So the reason what I was ignoring it is because I'm sort of known for being a, a low skilled gamer in general. I'm not. I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of the super challenge of it. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, which has sort of become a running gag inside the channel as well. But so Dark Souls, you know, it's a get good culture and like the super, yeah. it's a game that is super hard. So it's like, I'm definitely not going to enjoy this. And I started, I, I didn't have the this computer that I could at least run the game medium to low normally at that moment. I only had, that was a long time ago now that I think about it. That was, I don't know, in the first six months of the channel, maybe. I started experimenting with DSFX and seeing just how low the resolution scaler could go. And I start experimenting to the game to, to record like test footage. And I record, and I record, and I record, and a day passes, and two day passes, and three day passes. And some at some point, I'm like halfway through the game going like, oh shit, I'm supposed to make a video about this. And <laughs> something that was really interesting to me is that I was playing the game on an internal resolution of like 0.4, maybe? It was a blurry mess. I, I don't remember any of the textures of the game of the, fe- or the, of the first like half. Uh, and it made me realize just how wrong the, the meme culture about the game was because the game, yes, it's hard, but it's built, it has like fantastic level design, for example, and it has the, the patterns of the enemies, the animations of the enemies are done so you can sort of read them after a lot of repetition. And those are things I would have not noticed, I think, if I was playing the game in its full glory in the sense that since I cannot really appreciate those elements, all these interesting elements that I was not paying attention to were popping out. And Dark Souls mm. is sort of the most prominent example for me because it, it made me really change opinions on a game that I did not think I would enjoy. But there's a lot of examples of, of games that I have tr- both because I just wanted to make a video out of them. And then as I experiment and go and try, 
I, I started realizing that there's had a lot of interesting ideas that have nothing to do with the visual design. And vice versa, there's a lot of games that when they start looking a certain way, it's like, uh, yeah, the appeal is, is kind of lost. It's it's interesting. I was, I was watching your Skyrim video, and when you turn down the resolution on the on the kind of the environments, I was like, wow, this is almost like in a completely, it's like a cell shading game that I would like to play. I, w- I would play this game again. Do you ever find that happen? Yeah, if I could just jump in, you, you, uh, I was watching your Bioshock Infinite video. I think you made multiple ones, but yep. your most yeah. recent one, and you dialed down the settings, and that's a a good looking game, of course. But when you changed it so that it looked completely different, you actually said in the video that you liked this look and that you maybe liked it even more. Yeah, I I, I agree. That's <laughs> this is a sort of a controversial opinion among certain people in my community, but I'm not super fond of the visual design of Bioshock or similar similar games because I find it a little bit too just too much shit going on visually. There's too much too much stuff and, and I feel easily yeah. distracted. So what happened, for example, with Bioshock is like, oh, now there's like less stuff to distract me. I can notice where things are now that I did not notice before. It's like more obvious. So, so yeah, that definitely happens. And in the case of Skyrim, which that video, there, there's a comment that keeps popping on those kind of videos where people go like, wow, the next patch for RuneScape works really good. <laughs> <laughs> but in the case for, for that specific one, I'm pretty sure the developer of, of that mod that I utilized to, to do that maybe didn't intend for people to use it. But I definitely do, like, on one side, it does cause the same effect in the sense that I'm able to notice things in the game that I did not notice before. And the second is, it allows for some really interesting things. So a video I did somewhat recently, I think, was on a device called the GPD Win, and it's a Windows 10 computer that is, like, handheld. It's like a DS. It's it's pretty much the same size as a DS, but it's a Windows 10 computer, and it uses an Intel Atom. And I experimented in using that mod to get, like, 60 FPS on, on Skyrim on that device. It's like, oh, it's a fun experiment. I can do it. And I, I started playing, and then I left it, like, next to my bed. And now I, like, play an hour of Skyrim before going to sleep all the time in that mode. But it's because I'm playing Skyrim on the bus and people are staring at me. And I don't really care if it looks like that because Skyrim has a lot of really good things going for it on its design department and the, on the game design. So it does change the experience, but even sometimes I will say it enhances it a lot. Mm-hmm. And are there games where you think the trade-off of worse performance is worth it? Like if you have to take a, a hit on the frame rate for something like maybe physics is really integral to enjoying that particular game or maybe it just looks so good that you don't mind if there's some slowdown because maybe there isn't that much fast-paced combat in this particular game something like that so are you willing in some cases to make concessions in the performance department just to enhance other aspects yeah personally yes but that's usually for games that are i should say slower paced or maybe like stealth based or something where you don't need the advantage of the quick reaction to survive the gameplay situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm finding more, less and less of those cases as time goes by. 
but that might just be me because I'm getting used to this that I'm doing. And is there a typical lag time in that you can say, well, it's possible to get a new game to run on computers that are five years old, but not six or seven years old. Like, is there a standard sort of length at which, I mean, you just did Half-Life 2, so that's that's very old. Evidently, you can go back farther, further, but is there sort of a standard window in which you can play a game on a obsolete video card i mean it it depends on the hardware of course but is there kind of like a game that is too demanding to play on the systems you're trying to play on well usually my window is about five to six years uh Uh and most triple a games that i have turned the channel usually i figured out some way to make them work at, at least on that level on a uh gt 640 gpus the one that is my favorite for this which which was a budget cpu like five years ago uh-huh. uh so usually the window is about five years but it changes a lot per game and exception will be once again near automata because mm-hmm. oh that game is actually that i think that might be one of the most gpu hungry games i have tried in a long wow. time surprise really surprised me so it depends Let's talk uh, multiplayer, since I'm I'm guessing that's going to be the most um, utilitarian kind of type of question that you'll get. I can remember the first time when I first started playing Counter-Strike, you know, just trying to figure out how I can make the lag and my computer so that I'm not getting absolutely destroyed by people <laughs> like who can see me coming around a corner before I can see them. What are... So if... Let's say I'm, uh, I want to play Overwatch on my three-year-old computer and it's not going so great. What are, what are some tips for a guy like me? So general tips that a lot of people that come to me seem to forget are simply, one, watch your temperature and make sure your computer's clean. Yes, laptops need to be cleaned, especially if you live like <laughs> next to a dog. Uh, that that is something that everyone seems to forget when they message me. Heat is really one of the the worst things that could happen to a laptop because it's going to lower all the frequencies of like the GPU and the CPU, and you're going to notice that. Uh, Be really mindful of what your computer is doing in the background that you're not noticing, and be aware of how the control panel for your GPU works. Something really interesting that I discovered and that actually led to uh, a video that was way more successful than I expected is that a lot, a lot of laptop manufacturers, uh, when they release a computer with Intel HD graphics, which is probably the most common thing, uh, they release them with a sort of fixed bender driver that lowers the power of that Intel HD GPU to get like a couple hours more battery life because if you're selling a laptop and you're like a a store, it's going to be way more eye-catch if you say it's six hours of battery life than to say it's like 15% more powerful. Mm. So it's and this is something that I tell people all the time. Like if you start searching how to manually replace that driver for the actual Intel HD driver, you usually get like 15 or 18% more performance. Obviously, it depends on the GPU. But in the case of Overwatch, which is also something that people write to me often about, the minimum requirements for Overwatch is actually an Intel HD 4400, which is the lowest system requirements in a AAA game I, I think I've seen ever. That always, always blows me away that Blizzard managed to get it so low, like officially. 
And since that game is very GPU dependent, and a lot of people are surprisingly playing that game on Intel HDs, that's like the number one thing that you should do. Like if you have a laptop, throw away the old driver, figure it, read, watch the video that I did about it, or just look online how to install the official Intel drivers. Yes, you're going to lose like an hour of battery life, but it's if you're gaming on that thing, it's worth it. And you must just have to wait for patches sometimes, right? Because there are some games that come out that are just horribly broken and you can hardly run them even on a new system. And you have to wait for the publisher to, to fix it essentially before it's playable for anyone, let alone anyone with a, a low-end PC. So that must change things a lot for you if there's an update that optimizes a game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there, there are extreme cases like Doom when Doom uh, published yeah. their Vulcan update. That makes a huge difference for compatible low-end systems, but especially for people playing early access games. Now, this seems counterproductive to me, but I get, I don't know, maybe 100 requests for a specific early access games on my emails every week. Uh It's obvious that... (laughs) Games that are early access are the ones that are going to have a lot of performance issues. So obviously those are the games people are going to write me about. But when people mm-hmm. write to me about it's like, yeah, but I need you to help me with this game because this game's doing very bad. I'm like, yes, it's an early access game. It's <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, why people expect it to perform good. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you've been doing this for about two years now. Is there a big challenge that you are looking forward to, some game that you think is going to be difficult that you're planning to tackle sometime soon? Oh, God. I, I don't know. I have had a lot of challenges that I still haven't been able to tackle. Uh, you, you will be surprised. What's, what's the hardest? What's the yeah. one that you, you're you still trying to work on? Uh, my my white whale. Yes. <laughs> yes, that right. Is, that is <laughs> Arkham Knight. Oh, okay. So... Uh-huh. I, I have a, a thing specifically for Arkham Knight because I started the channel as a sort of a thing to maybe get to play Arkham Knight. If someone were to go to my very first video, which is mm-hmm. like on Arkham Origins, I think. Yeah. I think that the first thing I say on the video is like, oh, Arkham Knight is coming out. So maybe I can learn something from Arkham Origins. By the way, I don't recommend people to go watch my first video because it's really, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I was doing. Um, it's really cringy. <laughs> But it, the fact that I set on that path, like, oh, yes, I'm starting this channel to to sort of do something for Arkham Knight. And then Arkham Knight comes out and it's a disaster in the performance department. And like, it doesn't accept any tweaks and the configuration <laughs> files are not being read. It's something that makes me lose sleep to this very day. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason and I play most big new releases on consoles, so we don't even watch the videos necessarily for the tweaks, but we still really enjoy it. And yeah. the videos are funny and well-produced and even if you're not necessarily looking for tips you'll you'll enjoy them so you can find them at youtube.com slash c slash low spec gamer and you can also find alex at other places on twitter at low spec underscore gamer at facebook.com slash the low spec gamer and he also has a patreon account at patreon.com slash low spec gamer so please check it out he has new videos coming out weekly sometimes more often than that so thank you alex great talking to you Thank you for having me. All right. After a quick word from our sponsors, we'll be right back to talk Hearthstone with Max Reed. 
So as much as we love low-spec gamer, there's something to be said for high specs too. And Dell Gaming creates machines to make every experience more intense and real. I grew up gaming on Dell computers, and they've more than kept pace with the state of the art, from powerful Dell gaming PCs with Intel Core processors to the ultimate Alienware VR-ready experience. There's a PC designed to bring your best game at every level, because the best feature of a gaming machine is the power to make you forget it's there. So don't just play, game. Visit dell.com gaming to learn more. That's dell.com gaming. And I also want to tell you about TuneIn. Major League Baseball is finally back, and as the new season gets underway, the Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with my other podcast, The Ringer MLB Show, which is playing for free on TuneIn and the TuneIn app for the month of April. You can go to TuneIn.com Ringer in your browser or download the TuneIn app for free and listen to me and Michael Bauman break down baseball's biggest stories throughout the opening month of the MLB season. And as a bonus for Ringer listeners, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 60-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every live home call from every MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB show every Monday and Thursday only on TuneIn for the entire month for free. And when you upgrade to TuneIn Premium, you can listen to live MLB games. Just go to TuneIn.com Ringer and subscribe or download the TuneIn app for free and start listening today. Now we're joined by Max Reed. He's a senior editor at New York Magazine, formerly of Gawker. Max wrote one of my favorite recent pieces of video game writing, a piece called Milling Time, which appeared at the All about a year and a half ago. And I urge you to read it because it's really great. And Max is here to talk about Hearthstone, a addiction that uh, plagues many a professional person secretly. <laughs> um, Max, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about, I guess, your piece first and how you kind of fell into Hearthstone. You had played card games before. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I played Magic, The Gathering, sort of in middle school, you know, in the way that you are able to play those games in middle school, which is Mm -hmm. like because the art is cool and you can sort of vaguely pretend that you're a wizard. I never got into it. in the way that you get into it, like people, once you hit high school and you grow like a sort of wispy beard and you go to the comic book store and you just spend, you know, 12 hours a weekend there. Um, and I, it's like, at that point, I was not smart enough to like understand how to go beyond the kind of, well, I'm going to play my Shiv and Dragon and it's cool that my deck is black and white or whatever. Um, so I sort of, you know, I, I, I liked the idea and I had these fond memories of playing collectible card games or this one collectible card game and i hadn't i hadn't played them in years and years and then um at gawker when i was working there one day i caught um, my colleagues sam and kyle playing hearthstone and i was not like a big you know i was sort of tangentially aware of video games and kyle and sam had gotten sort of addicted and they were playing the minute that it was like you know we didn't have like a steam whistle or whatever but if you imagine there was like a steam whistle at the blog factory the minute it went kyle and sam would whip out their laptop and just start playing across the table from one another my managing editor at the time Lacey donahue called it um harry potter nerd virgin blackjack um, <laughs> yeah jay uh jay kang is another one of those people who like very secretly harbors a very very uh, serious hearthstone addiction yeah i mean it's a weird there's a there's a there's a definite like media professional you yeah know, and you tweet about it and all of a sudden you get these faves from like award-winning journalists and you're like oh man <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you're up at six too, aren't you? <laughs> um, but I, you know, I started playing like uh, you sort of early 2015, and then it when they released the mobile, the iPhone app, which was like mid 2015, I guess. That's when the addiction like yeah. really took hold. And then I first spent money on <laughs> this is this is really like a like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Right, yeah. I first spent money on it probably in early 2016, and let's not even talk about that at this point. <laughs> well, I, th- I think there's always that thing you say to yourself, I'm not going to actually spend the money and then you end up spending the money. Yeah, you end up spending. I mean, I, you know, I could go through the justifications. I, I'm sure that you guys have done the same ones. I'm sure that everybody's listening understands exactly how those guys of rationalizations work. So I'll just, I've spent more money than I probably should, but the game has given me a certain amount of joy over the years. So I'm not going to complain too much. Well, how much do you have to spend to be competitive? And you can define competitive however you want, what, how, whatever <laughs> makes you feel competitive and like you're enjoying the game. And how has that changed over the life of the game? Well, this is a, a point of contention in the Hearthstone communities, like especially this with this most recent <laughs> expansion. They do, you know, every yeah. so every three months for people who aren't familiar with the game, like it's it's like Magic the Gathering. You have this group of cards that you play, and there's a sort of a library of a hundred plus cards that you build decks out of to play against your opponents. And every three months, they release a new set of cards. And recently, they at the same time as they release a new set of cards, they eliminate, they like pull uh, another set of cards out of the pool, pool of available cards for your decks. So, you know, every every three months, if you want to be up on the sort of the latest, coolest decks, which is the, you know, what, what they call the meta game, which is like, those are the decks that people are playing. You have to have some of the cards from that new expansion. And the ways to get cards are you can get free packs of cards. I mean, it's, it's just like real life, you know, uh, but bit easier and sadder yeah. like you don't you, there's no community that you go and you hang out with your buddies at the comic book store to buy the magic card pack you just you go and you click on a thing and you can get them by playing some of the game modes or by winning in certain game modes you know it's like it's like any sort of um like pay to upgrade video game where you you know you play you, you pay some gold that you've earned by completing quests to play one mode and you get the packs so anyway you can buy the packs with real life money too and the way most people do it i think is they buy their like a $40 for 50 packs with every expansion. And if you do that a couple times, you actually start to build up a big enough library that even if you're mediocre like I am, you can hit higher ranks in the competitive play. This is a very long-winded way to answer your question, which is basically like, if you're good, if you are a strategic thinker, I my, my friend Jay Hathaway, who is a longtime sort of hobbyist magic player, I've been watching him. He just started playing a couple months ago. I don't think he spent very much money and he hit Legend, which is like the highest Whoa. ranked last month. Yeah. So if you've got like magic experience i think hearthstone is a very simple concept for you and you can come in and with pretty like low cost decks do very well for yourself for somebody like me who is just not a strategic thinker and is like incredibly dumb about this stuff like i'm very strategic the minute i've made a mistake like i can identify mistakes the minute after i made them but i can't i'm totally unable to identify those mistakes before i make them which means that in order for me to hit you know rank 10 or rank 5 my the highest i've ever gotten is rank 5 is I need to have I need to have some good cards, which means I need to spend a little bit of money. Dollar figure, I don't know. You know, it, like you you probably need to start to spend somewhere like fifty or sixty bucks to like really feel like you're in the mix with like the cards <laughs> that people that, that like other people are playing with. But you know, if you're like if you're dedicated and into it, there's a lot of like Trump, who's one of the most the best known streamers. He routinely runs free to play 
like he'll go in and he'll start a new account and he'll and he'll he's like it's good there's like advice about how to do it there's certain decks that are very cheap and very easy to do <laughs> but um i think for me the fun part is the sort of novelty of trying out new strategies and new decks and if you want to do that you just have to have cards there's like no ways of, around it is the pace of expansion optimal do you think is it too quick how quickly does hearthstone get stale for you or for very competitive players uh, so this is really interesting because the sort of concept of collectible card games as new as it is is now being placed in the context of sort of like the speed and transparency that the internet brings along with it so that a game like magic which is hearthstone's obvious um, antecedent they you know, there is a meta game, there are decks that are famous, but it all sort of, it filters out through conventions and through magazines and in the back rooms of card shops and whatever. Whereas Hearthstone, if there's a cool deck, it gets published online and everybody can build it in six hours, which means that the the meta game and the sort of strategies that you are putting together and the decks that you're building, they it settles out very, very quickly. And by, by which I mean that people figure out what the optimal decks are pretty early on um, in an expansion. So, you know, three months is like, I, I mean, I feel really sorry for the game devs on this i feel sorry for game devs <laughs> everywhere i mean it's like, it seems like the worst job but these guys you know they, they have to sit down and they have to think about this and they have to play with their limited group of play testers and then they unleash this new game state on a community of of totally insane people um hundreds and thousands of <laughs> millions of completely insane people who go ahead and sort of break the game and i like that's one of the things i love about like gaming communities in general and sort of internet and technology communities is is the the sort of gleefulness with which they take what is given to them and then just try to like push it to the absolute limit of what's possible and that's really fun except that it means that hearthstone needs this constant influx of new cards and new ideas to keep people interested so you know there's a lot of people who think that they should be like sort of nerfing cards more often that they should be changing overpower cards more often and i think that's i think probably they could be a lot quicker than they are and they could be doing a little they could be a little more proactive about that but that being said it is a really delicately balanced game um and the and there's all kinds of weird stuff that you can do that has unintended consequences you you nerf one card and all of a sudden another card that was kept in check by that card is really powerful there's a whole ecosystem that is uh that i imagine the blizzard devs are incredibly nervous about messing up so i think actually i think three months is a pretty good run between expansions the problem is just when you get a kind of crappy expansion like the not the not the one that came out last week but the one that came out before that nobody really loved it that much and it set up a couple really annoying and really bad deck archetypes that have have made the game really annoying to play for a while so the real bad time is when there's a big expansion and then it just sets up decks nobody wants to play against and then the game feels really stale and boring one of the themes of your piece milling time that i that really struck home with me was this uh, idea of hearthstone as a uh, kind of a way to very efficiently get a kind of primal uh, feeling of satisfaction and how this the easiness with which you can kind of like acquire this uh, distracts you from the various things that you really should be doing with your life. It's kind of a rationalization that I find a lot of people who think a lot about video games use in order to tell themselves why they're playing so much so many video games. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what what is it about yeah. Hearthstone really that that keeps you playing it? I think about this a lot, obviously, because I play it way more than I should. And, yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I'm not like I have a PlayStation and I play video games. I'm not like a hardcore gamer by any means. And I'm more than happy to sit on my phone and stare at Candy Crush or something. And I think Hearthstone, 
what what you get out of Candy Crush, which is a game that involves no skill at all and and like barely even logic, you know, I don't it, it's it's a it's literally just you, you are looking at something really colorful that follows your instructions, and every once in a while will give you this sort of endorphin rush of winning. And Hearthstone is like is you know three or four levels above that but it's the exact same kind of sense of you move these things around a screen and they're colorful and they sort of reflect you know like genre properties that you're interested in though honestly like the fantasy stuff is not even really what attracts you it's that sense of like i made a handful of correct decisions in this particular thing maybe a couple unexpected things happen thanks to random stuff and that that hit my brain in such a way that i feel really good about it and it's a little different than something like i'm playing witcher 3 right now which is like i i i don't think i'm gonna play another game until 2025 (laughs) (laughs) and like Witcher is a game that you put in an hour and a half and you get 50 xp but you saw a pretty sunset there's a sort of like it's a different kind of like you enter a world (laughs) and and you and you and you sort of experience that world whereas hearthstone the the relationship between the specific reward like the numerical level that you've moved up the number of golds you get the win you got is like clear and exact and you get it in about nine minutes you know a game takes you maybe 10 like at the absolute longest 20 minutes to play so like my real problem is that like i'll I'll wake up in the morning and it, you know I'll, it, I'll have a little bit of time before i have to get out of bed and i'll pick up my phone and well yeah i can get in a game of hearthstone next thing i know i've spent an hour <laughs> playing five or six games of hearthstone <laughs> and just because it's like that that jonesing for that quick like okay i can climb i can climb i can climb and it's only you know i'm only spending 10 minutes so i can do one more i can do one more it's not like sitting down to do a side quest in witcher or something like that yeah there's been this discourse recently ryan event of the economist wrote something about how games are possibly keeping people out of the workforce, especially (laughs) young men, just because they've gotten so good that they provide that satisfying feedback loop and you can just lose all this time and bury yourself in the game. And I don't know how much that accounts for huge economic swings. The economy is complex, and I'm sure there's more going on there than the fact that games are really good. You know, But you were between jobs when you got into Hearthstone, and you talk in the piece that Jason's referencing about how you had all these ambitious plans for creative things you were going to do, and then you ended up playing lots and lots of Hearthstone. So can you identify with that? Like, Was there a part of you that found it difficult to get back into what you had been doing pre-Hearthstone? And did you find it (laughs) satisfying in maybe a different way from what you had been planning to do, but still in a a way that you don't look back and think I wasted all that time? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's hard. Like, I think everybody who plays video games can relate because it isn't it isn't like a total waste of time by any means, you know, and you you regret not having done when you spend six hours playing video games, you, you might regret not having done something that you needed to do or meant to do. But beyond the kind of immediate visceral satisfaction, there is a sense of I don't know. um, Well, there is like the immediate visceral satisfaction isn't anything to shake a stick at either. Like that's it is a nice thing Mm -hmm. to have that and to like feel as though you've performed a task that required some degree of brain power and hand-eye coordination or whatever else. But there's also like the sense of having participated in a cultural, a sort of shared cultural experience. Like one thing I actually really like about Hearthstone is that there is a community of people out there who I can talk to about. You know, it's like if I spent three hours watching a Yankee game, 
I'm I'm arguably doing less with my brain than I am when I'm playing Hearthstone or Tomb Raider or whatever. But I watch the Yankee game for the same reason that I for one of the same reasons that I play Hearthstone, which is that that's a something I can then talk to other people about. You know, it's it's like a it's a it's it's a it's almost like a movie that I'm consuming that that then allows me to think a little bit about the world around me, that allows me to interact with people in ways that I mean, am I sounding like incredibly video game nerd here? Like, well, I watch the Yankee game in order to speak with other men. Um, But like that's part of it, right? this is like a shared cultural experience that I have that, that that Hearthstone allows me to like talk to people on Twitter or on the Hearthstone right. Reddit or whatever about this hobby that we all share. And can you tell us about the role of randomness in the game? Because I know that's that's something that's been tweaked over time. And maybe some people would say it's a creative crutch where you introduce this randomness and you don't have to design a compelling card or game otherwise. But maybe it also adds something and there's that line between wanting an element of unpredictability and then maybe feeling like you don't have quite enough control. <laughs> I, I mean, I love it as a, as somebody who's like somewhere between a casual and like hardcore Hearthstone player. I really, the randomness is, I, is one of my favorite things about the game, partly because, you know, this sort of grind of Hearthstone can get really oppressive if you are if you are if you're if you're if you've tilted and you're like falling ranks and you're just losing game after game after game or even if you're just if you're winning but it's sort of like you've hit a formula for winning or you've hit a particular kind of deck archetype that works really well for you that that to throw these extra little weird things in there forcing you to make strategic decisions that otherwise would be up to the board state and the and the state of your hand and stuff that can be i think it 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 snaps you out of that kind of like zombie state you get into when you are real, when you're like grinding in any video game, which is nice. And like for the last few months before this most recent expansion, I was in, really enjoying playing decks. You know, the, some of the archetypes, the priest and the mage in particular, there's a, they have a fair amount of sort of like add random spells to your hand or like steal cards from your opponent or like find cards right. from your opponent's class. And that stuff is all of a sudden. So you start with a deck that's a lot of the cards are sort of like pick a random card or add a random card. And then all of a sudden, every game is new because you're playing with a new set of rules and restrictions. And I know like a lot of the, especially the pro players who are really good and don't like to leave some of their win percentage up to randomness and look if you're making money off of this i totally understand why that might not be great for you but for me i think it it, it only adds to the experience of the game even when it when it comes back to bite me in the ass like some of them the some of the more fun sort of things that happen in the game even when you lose or when somebody just pulls something out of nowhere that they got totally accidentally or totally randomly there's some good luck in some way i think it, it adds to the experience finally could you uh you know, scout your own Hearthstone game. Uh, what's what? What do you need to do to improve to climb that ladder? That's a great question. And and do you have any favorite or or least favorite cards that you find yourself over relying uh, on or or not using enough? <laughs> well, so I'm a I'm actually a really boring player. Like I tend to play. I don't know how hardcore I can really get here. I'll I'll I'll, I'll try. <laughs> Just and, go for I'll it. I I tend to play sort of mid range like board control oriented decks. I you know I laddered constantly with Shaman last year. Not the more aggressive versions, but the sort of mid year tunnel trog thing from below where really the goal was to just build up a really strong board of high stat minions that uh, and wear down your opponent mm-hmm. and so like this most recent and over the last week i've been playing a lot of mid-range hunter which was also a favorite sort of the year before that because again it's like the idea is just i mean i'll, I'll like the the weakness is basically i don't like games that require strategy because i don't have <laughs> you I'm just not want to play stuff and, and watch yeah. mana like 
evaporate. <laughs> exactly right. And if I can play stuff and I know that like, or like I, I always love whatever flavor of Zulok is out there because it's mm -hmm. like, I just know that the way, the way to win the game is I play my creatures, my minions, and I use my minions to kill the other minions and I chip away health from the hero when I can and eventually I'll win. And I think that like, it was the one thing I liked about this sort of last meta, the last three months of meta is that those the mid there was no real mid range. It was all super aggressive or all super control. And it forced me to sort of step out of my comfort zone and play. I played a lot of Kazakas decks. There was a, a, a played a priest Kazakas deck, which was terrible but really fun because it was like <laughs> I played this. It was a it was a hybrid um, Cthune dragon Kazakas deck where there was no duplicates in the entire deck, and like you could build up this enormous old god Cthune that would destroy your opponent, or you could just play a lot of dragon cards that had um, that synthesized with one another and steal a bunch of your opponent's cards or steal minions from his side of the board. And I lost constantly, but it was like, hey, like every once in a while, something really spectacular would happen. So if I could fuse that that love of weird shit happening with like an actual thought, like with thinking about what this strategy is, I think I could be much better. But a lot of it is just sort of, I don't know. I'm like, I was always really bad at chess. Like thinking more than two or three turns ahead is totally beyond me. Thinking more than like a turn ahead is totally beyond me. And so I, I t constantly find myself in situations where without really realizing it, I've like played all the cards out of my hand and I've completely lost card advantage just because I was so focused on trying to like get board advantage. And then next thing I know, I'm like, I'm so far behind that I have nothing going on. And I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I'm trying, you know, I'm in my thirties now. I'm trying to make peace with my family. And, like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to develop. I'm like, I'm not going to go hire a Hearthstone coach, though there are plenty of them out there. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to just be, you know, a rank five kind of guy on a month when I can spend a lot of time playing and otherwise just enjoy it. <laughs> well, we've been talking to Max Reed. He's a senior editor at New York Magazine. You can reach him at, at Max underscore Reed, or you can read his various stuff at uh, New York Magazine. Max, thanks a lot and good luck on the ladder. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. All right, so we have come to the end of the episode, and as has become our tradition, we'll take a question from Twitter. And this one sent to our Twitter account, at AchievementPod, comes from Andrew Patrick, and he says, You are told of an unreleased game in your favorite series, which is better than anything previously released. You may play it, but you are sworn to secrecy due to an NDA. And he's a two-part question. A, <laughs> what series is it for you? And B, do you play it even though you can never talk about it? And why? Oh, I don't play it because the games that I really enjoy are these kind of multiplayer games with social experience ah, okay. components. And so it just wouldn't. It just wouldn't make sense for me to do it. I see. Okay. Are there any single player experiences that come to mind for you as something that you want a sequel for or another installment in the series? Oh, Red Dead, I think would be the would be the knee jerk answer <laughs> yeah. and it's coming. Yeah. Guess what? Good news. There's gonna be one. Yeah, I am more of a single player oriented gamer, so I think I would do it. And for me, Everything I thought of off the top of my head was a Dreamcast game or something that originated on Dreamcast. But if I could get a new Skies of Arcadia game or a sequel to Jet Set Radio Future, which is one of my favorite games ever, I would definitely play it. And those are single player experiences, which would be marred by the fact that I couldn't tell anyone <laughs> else about it. And... Or else have your, your livelihood devastated by <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it wouldn't be quite as fun for me if I couldn't share the experience with anyone else. But 
if it were a game that I've been waiting for a sequel to forever and might not get one otherwise, yeah, I think I'm going to take them up on this offer. Oh, I just realized, I think it would be yeah. Left for Dead. I think it would be Left for Dead mm. would be the game that it would I would pick, uh-huh. but that I wouldn't play. One. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> okay. So keep those questions coming on Twitter at AchievementPod, and we'll pick out one or two every week. And one other bit of news, the inaugural Tribeca Games Festival starts two weeks from today. If you're in the New York area, you, I believe, can still buy tickets, and Jason and I will be there. We'll be moderating a talk with Michael Chu of Overwatch and Kiki Wolfkill of Halo, and we'll probably be releasing that as a live podcast episode the week after and also be talking to other people while we're there. There are a lot of interesting big-name games people who are going to be attending, so we'll try to talk to as many as we can and put that out as an episode. But if you're around, say hello. So that is our first quasi-live event. We will end it there, so we'll be back next week. See ya. All right, folks, final reminder today, bring your best game at every level. From powerful Dell gaming PCs with Intel Core processors to the ultimate Alienware VR-ready experience. Don't just play, game. Visit dell.com slash gaming. Again, that's dell.com slash gaming.